0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. So hey, for those of you who are brand new, my name is Ron. I'm the founding pastor of the church, and uh, we are going to have some fun digging into a topic that I really enjoy because it highlights one of my favorite things about God. And it also highlights one of my favorite things about our church. Did you know that God's okay if you have doubts? He's actually okay if you're a skeptic. Yeah, in fact, if you you go to the 22nd Psalm, you can read this. King David, who was the most beloved king of ancient Israel, King David one time said to God, Hey, where are you? Why do I feel so abandoned by you? Night and day I call out to you and you're nowhere to be found. You know what God's response to that was? Hey, buddy, you're my guy. Would you write that down? In fact, I'm going to use you to write the largest book in the entire collection of the Bible because I want people to be that honest and open with me. So if you're a skeptic today, maybe this is your first time here and you're just checking out and you're not really sure about this God thing, or maybe you've been coming week after week because you're doing the family thing, you know, for the kids, but you're not sure that you want to buy into that and you have questions, you know something, here's the truth about God and here's the truth about our church. God is safe to ask whatever question you have. He's very safe to process that with. This is a safe place for you to do that. I would rather have you come here and not smile and pretend that everything is A-OK and pretend like you're buying in when at a heart level you can't and you're not ready for that. I'd rather have you come and just be honest about that with the church and with God, with everybody else, and that's A-OK. And in a way, that's what we're doing with this series. Who would ever go to a church that has a, a series called Who Needs God? that sound like what you would find at normal church? Yeah. So welcome for all of those of you who are brand new or skeptics or aren't sure where you fit in there. And today we're going to dig a little bit into maybe several of, of us. This will be our past and probably most of the people in the audience. Maybe all of you will relate to a certain part of what we're going to talk about. So I just want to start with a confession. I want to start with something right up front, and that is this. No matter what we believe about God, it leads to some unsettling realities. So on the faith spectrum, let's jump all the way over here, and let's start out by talking about what I would consider pure atheism. Actually, it's not what I consider pure atheism. It's what the modern-day proponents of atheism these are the heroes of that movement these are the things that they say if you're going to be an atheist you have to believe in the illusion of the mind in other words you're just a collection of molecules it's a chemical reaction that's going on you happen to those molecules happen to have formed into the the form of a human being but you don't have a spirit you don't have a soul there's nothing to you other than just a physical and chemical reaction. The illusion of free will. Since it's a chemical reaction, you just think you have a choice. You don't actually have a choice. It's all been determined for you, and you are living out whatever that collection of molecules is telling you to live out. The illusion of value, you don't have any value above. By the way, you could just as well have formed into a rock. So there's no difference in the value between you and a rock. You're both just combinations of molecules. And and so any value you have, you have taken on yourself. Or someone has tried to convince you that you have it. But you really don't. And last of all, the illusion of morality. If it's all an accident in the cosmos of how these molecules mysteriously came together, then there is no real sense of right or wrong. No one can be held accountable. Morality is actually the name that we put on the preferred behavior we would like other people to have. (laughs) Now, I don't have to tell you, if we all lived in a world where everyone believed that, would that be a scary place? Yeah. Yeah, there there are some really unsettling realities. Let's jump all the way out here to the opposite end, and let's talk about Christianity, because it has its own unsettling realities. For instance, the one thing you'll be taught in Christianity is that it was designed for you to have a relationship with an invisible God. You're supposed to talk to Him. You're supposed to listen to Him. You're supposed to process things with Him. My friends, if it was anybody but God, we would say you're psychotic true yeah that's an unsettling reality paradoxical truths much of what jesus taught us are absolutely those principles are not intuitive to us for instance jesus said the way to find your life is give it away the way to get to the top is become the servant of everyone if someone hits you on the right cheek what are you supposed to do turn the other cheek is that natural to anybody here if it is you're weird Every one of those things is not natural to any of us. And yet those are the things that Jesus taught. Let's talk about non-negotiable morality. We are Americans, right? We don't buy into anything we don't get to vote on. That's hardwired into us. And yet Christianity hands us a morality over which we have no vote, no, no input, no say. God says this is right. And we are taught he has a reason for saying that. And even if we don't understand that reason, it's important for us to buy into that. Yeah. And then last of all, injustice for all. I find this one really interesting. And we have a whole sermon coming up on this later. So I'm not going to jump into it. But if you read the Bible, you understand injustice for all is a nice phrase describing grace. That's what grace is. Where everybody gets what they don't deserve. And I find this so interesting about us as human beings. We usually don't settle in and feel comfortable until justice has been served. Does it ever bother you when people get away with stuff? Yes or no? Does that bother you? Yeah. Unless it's you. (laughs) I'm all for this injustice stuff if it's me. Right? It's when God gives it to other people that it bothers me. Yeah, it's not actually natural for us to choose grace. So these are some unsettling realities. Now, Kevin very, very masterfully taught us last week something that's unsettling is not a test for truth. Oftentimes, truth is unsettling. So whether it's the it's whether it's the realities of what the atheists would have us believe, that's unsettling. This is. This is Christianity, pure Christianity. Let's take something else that's probably in the middle because few of us in our childhood were probably given pure atheism and few of us were probably given pure Christianity. Most of us were probably given something like this, which I call the God of the No Testament. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Those are the two major divisions And the problem with this God is he's not found in either one. But the amazing thing is, many of us got this God at a church. Does that seem odd? That you would be taught about a God that's not in the Bible, but you learned it at church? So, to be honest with you, many people who are in my line of work, they're pastors or priests or or rabbis or rectors or whatever else they might be called, have used fear and guilt to manipulate people. And they've done it in the name of God and said that's how God works. Demanding. You know, God wants it all. And don't hold out on God, right? If you grew up in a church, you probably heard that. God wants it all. Don't hold out on God. And if you do, He's going to get it all in the end anyway And you know, there's a little phrase that I never heard in church, but I actually believed it. If you don't comply, you're going to fry. (laughs) I should go into marketing for legalism, don't you think? (laughs) Yeah, that was sort of what we were taught. God is condemning. You know, God's perfect and nothing you do will ever be perfect. Therefore, nothing you do will ever be good enough for God. It's sort of the Santa Claus thing. He's making a list and checking it twice. He's what? Going to find out who's not here nice. So come back to that in a little bit. And it's more of a tradition than a truth. I bet there's a bunch of you that your parents said this to you when you were a kid. You are going to go to church with me. I had to do... My parents made me do this. And by golly, if I had to do this, you're going to do this, right? Until as long as you live in my house. Because in our family, this is what we do. Hmm. That's kind of unsettling too, isn't it? Yeah. Because the truth is, no matter where you land on the faith spectrum, there's a portion of it that's just unsettling. Even though somewhere in there, truth probably resides. We're going to dig into that a little bit this morning. Here's the truth. Most of the gods that we've come across in our lifetime, and I'm going I'm to actually lay out six of them for us today, most of the gods we've come across in our lifetime, we actually need to reject. And so we're going to take a look at six of them that we get fed by the media, or they come from the gossip mill, or they come from somebody down the road who's actually mad at God, or we got them from our parents, or we learned them from a church these are all God, what I would call god imposters. They're the gods of the New no Testament, and we actually need to reject them. And at this point, I actually agree with one of the world's most well-known atheists, Richard Daw- uh, Dawkins. Here's what he said. We are all atheists about most of the gods that humanity has ever believed in. Some of us just go one god further, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But most of the gods that we've been given, we actually need to reject because they're God imposters and they actually damage our faith. And so here are two big questions that I want to start out with today. What if God isn't who or what you think he is? And maybe stated a little differently, it goes like this. What if the God you think you're supposed to believe in doesn't really exist? That would be sad, right? Well, you're thinking you're supposed to buy into this thing and it doesn't actually exist. So let's look at some of these things. The Apostle Paul, who was personally trained by Jesus, actually postured this question to a group of people that he talked to some 2,000 years ago on the top of the Acropolis in the middle of, of the Gratian city, Athens. And he said this, God's purpose. By the way, he had just strolled through. You've been through a cemetery, right? All of us have. Well, Paul had just browsed through what I would call a garden of the gods. So in Athens, they had this place where they had all the idols that they worshipped and they had them all stacked up there. And it was sort of like a a god cemetery, except it was an idol garden of the gods. And Paul strolled through there and he saw one of them that had an inscription on it that said, to the unknown god. You know, when you think of hedging your bets, when you've come up with all the gods you can think of, and you think, what happens if I haven't thought of one? Well, let's make a placard to the unknown God, and even if we forgot three or four, they'll all think that's them. (laughs) So that's how they did it, right? And so Paul, he picks up on that, and he talks to them about the one God who created everything, and he lays out the purpose. He said, God's purpose in making the world was for the nations to seek after him, though he's not f- very far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own prophets have said, we are his he is offspring. We are his children. And since this is true, one of the fundamental things that Jesus taught and that the writers of the, of the Bible taught is that you and I are actually the children of. Of God, that He's our eternal Father. He says this since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. Now, I, I highlighted we shouldn't think of God as, because that's what we would call a God narrative. And the interesting thing about what happens to us many times is we write these narratives about God that we got from who knows where, our parents, maybe, maybe a pastor who was, a, if you don't comply, you're going to fry kind of pastor, or maybe it was going to school and having our knuckles wrapped by people who claim to be religious, religious authorities, or maybe it was a show we saw on TV. But wherever we got it, we wrote a narrative of God. Think of it as painting a picture of God and once we got the picture painted, we step back and we looked at the picture and we go, that's ugly. And we rejected God because we didn't like the picture we painted of him. Hmm. What if God's not like the picture that we painted or that someone else painted for us? In her book, The Case for God, Karen Armstrong wrote this. Many of us have been left stranded without an in, with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God about the same time as we were told about Santa Claus. But while our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, our theology remained somewhat infantile. We'll come back to that word. Not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and we simply denied that he existed. Let's talk about this part, the God that we inherited. This is the stuff that we learned wherever we learned it. And she rightfully says, it's an infantile understanding of God that gets us in trouble. So let me see if I can illustrate this with a question that all of us who are parents have been asked sometimes uncomfortably. Are you ready for it? Where do babies come from? Right? All of you have had to face that reality. The interesting thing is, when it's a preschool child, you have a two-word answer that works really well. Mommy's tummy. That's where babies come from. Have you tried that answer on your teen recently? I'm pretty sure that's not going to do. Right? Right? So you give the teen a different answer. It's not that you told your preschool child a lie. You just know that that answer is not going to work for your, for your teenage child. So to your teen, you usually say something like, well, babies come as the result of sexual intimacy between dad and mom. To which they go, eww. <laughs> right? But they actually know it's true. But if it's a med student that asks the questions, you usually give an answer that goes something like this. Babies are the result of a union of a fertile ovum with a viable sperm. And the med students go, yeah, I'm on board with that. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is, this is an infantile answer. And Karen is so right when she says our understanding of God needs to grow beyond its infantile understanding. And much of what I'm going to teach you today, much of what we're going to talk about, actually comes from churches that prefer an infantile understanding of God. And we actually need to grow up because in many cases, the God we inherited is actually the mommy's tummy God. Okay? So, Most important thing. Let's start. I'm going to give you six gods. First of all, the bodyguard God. This is the God that never lets bad things happen to good people. Have you ever struggled with that? Shake your head like this. Yes, you have. I know you have. I have too. Because there's this thing on the inside of us that says, if God is really God, then he's not going to let... Bad things happen to good people. And yet, as I look around, I have seen some really, really bad things happen to some really, really good people. And I would be much more comfortable with my theology if it all fit into a nice, neat little box. And the thing about this box that I really like is that the good people get all the breaks in life and the bad people just get broken by life. At least it would seem fair. I don't want to dig into that too deeply today, but I do want to remind you of this. Christianity started with a horrible thing happening to a very good person. Understand? Life doesn't work in that good things only happen to good people. That's a bodyguard God. That's a God imposter, and he will actually damage our faith. Because that's not the God of the Bible. Here's a second God that would be good for us to take a look at. And that is the on-demand God. Now, if you grew up in a church that was big into faith, sort of the name it and claim it, believe it and receive it kind of church, that if you had enough faith and you asked God for something and it wasn't overtly selfish that God was obligated to do it for you. Hmm. Do you realize that that's Santa Claus theology? How many of you can remember 34th Street? Remember the little girl Susan? Remember Kris Kringle? You know what Kris Kringle kept saying to her? If you believe in Santa Claus. If you really believe in Santa Claus. Susan, do you really believe? Yeah. Do you really believe in Santa Claus? He will grant your Christmas wish. Hmm. And then we could throw in the, he's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. And you know what we come out with? We come out with this theology of God that if you're good enough and you believe enough, God will grant you everything you want or need or wish for. Hmm. Can we just be honest about that? If God had granted everything you asked for as a 16-year-old, some of us would be in big trouble right now. (laughs) Right? Massive trouble right now. That girl that we had a crush on, as life turned out, we're going, or that guy, oh man, I can't even imagine what my life would be like But at the time, you know what? We were saying, God, I'm not asking for much. Just a date. Yeah. Huh. That's the on-demand God. Let's take another one. Let's talk about... Hello. Wow. That's a powerful punch. All right. Here we go. Boyfriend God. Huh. This is the God that we think will always feel close to us like our boyfriend or girlfriend right beside us. And we will be so in love with him and he will be so in love with us. And then there are times when he doesn't feel very close. I quoted to you a passage of scripture at the beginning where King David said, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? Those were his exact words. You promised to never leave me and forsake me, and yet I feel abandoned at this moment, and I'm crying out to you night and day, and you're not showing up. Hmm. Can I just straighten out one thing for us? God never promised that we would always feel close to him, but he did always promise to be close to us, even when we didn't feel like it. Because God would never subject himself to our feelings and our emotions. Did you know this? That Mother Teresa and Billy Graham both spoke of whole seasons in their lives where God did not feel close to them. Hmm. And I'm guessing if that's how it was for Mother Teresa and Billy Graham, anybody want to stack yours up against them? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it will be that way with us. This is another God imposter who can actually damage our faith. Because this, this God is not actually portrayed in Scripture. He doesn't actually exist. Let's talk about this. Guilt God. We anybody that struggles with guilt God? Of course we do. If you grow up in any form of a legalistic church, you know that if you don't comply, you're going to fry one of those. Yes? Well, The underlying message of guilt, God, is that God loves you, but he doesn't much like you. And in fact, nothing you ever do will ever be enough for him. All you can hope for is that somehow in the end, he will be gracious to you. Hmm. That's, you know, I have two questions to ask. The first one is this. How's that working for you? Does does that make you feel good? Does that bring out the best in you? Does that make you feel close to God? Usually, no, it doesn't. Not at all. And even more important, are the most guilt-ridden people in your life, are those your favorite people to be around? Not usually. Intuitively, we know, God has something better for me than this. And yet so often, we we somehow latch on to guilt God. and, And it becomes manipulative for us. And then... Gap God. This is not Eddie Bauer God. This is Gap God, all right? So, what's Gap God? He's the answer to everything we don't understand or can't explain. How many of you have heard this? God works in, what's the next word? Oh, yeah. You know what that means? Anything you can't explain or don't understand, well, that's God. There's something fundamentally wrong with that. You know why? Because Gap God becomes the excuse for our ignorance. That's God. And we just write it off. And yet, God is supposed to be the motivation behind our learning, discovery, and understanding. Yeah, I want to tell you this. Any church, any faith system that encourages you to check your brain at the door and just believe, don't drink the Kool-Aid. That's not from God. Gap God... It's not the God of the Bible. And let's go to one more, and that is the anti-science God. This teaches that God can't be reconciled with science. All you really need to do is believe. I don't care who tells you that. It simply isn't true, and I'll dig into this just a minute. Um, Did you know no Christian really believes that? Or if there are Christians, there are very, very few of them. Let me show you what I mean. Let's say that you're a parent and and you have a very, very, very sick child. And you pick up your child and you take your child to the doctor. The doctor asks you a few questions, takes temperature, blood pressure, pulse, all those sorts of things. And the doctor says, you know, I'm afraid your child has a very serious disease, but I won't know for sure until we draw some blood and do a test. And so they draw some blood from your child, and the doctor says, I will call you on Monday with the results. How's your weekend? Awful. Awful. The phone rings on Monday, and you have caller ID, and you recognize it's the doctor. How's your heart rate? Pounding, right? You pick up the phone, and you say, hello, doctor. And the doctor says we have the results from the blood test back, and we think we know what's going on. And here's the answer. We think God's trying to teach you a lesson. (laughs) Are you on board with that? No. Tell me what's going on with my child. Because when it comes to physical health, we are all about science. Don't give me this baloney about God can't be reconciled with science. Me a scientific answer. Yeah. Now, there are some reasons for that. There's the question. Here's what you need to know everything that we discover in our world is actually a discovery of how God designed it to work. Did you know it was actually Christians who founded the modern science movement? in our world. Now here's why. Prior to Christianity coming on the scene, the dominant religion in the world was a pantheon of regional gods and demigods who were variously angry or happy with people in certain locales. So whenever a storm hit, what was the assumption by all the people who lived there? They had done something wrong, and God was mad, and that's why the storm came. There was no scientific explanation for that storm. There was a theological explanation for that storm. So it didn't do you any good to study the atmosphere, because in the end, it was all the gods who were playing with the natural causes in our world and making these things happen. Try being a scientist in that environment. It wasn't until the Christians came along and said, whoa, whoa, time out. Let's go all the way back to the first chapter of the Bible. And let's understand that maybe one of the most important things that's said in the first chapter of the Bible is not said about day one, two, three, four, five, or six. What might be the most important thing in Genesis chapter one is what God did on on day seven. And you know what it says? Not only that God rested, God finished his creation. That God's no longer messing with the natural laws of our world. He set them all in order and all in place. And if you look at our world and you dig into it deeply enough, you will discover more and more about how God made our world work. And my friends, that is the basis of modern science, that God no longer messes with his creation. He loves his people, but storms don't come because somehow God whipped them up overnight because he was mad about something. It's the, it's the basis of modern science. So here's what I want us to know. When our theology conflicts with a scientific discovery, we have a theological problem, not a scientific one. Now, you might have to sit with that for a little bit, but that's the truth. This is why the anti-science God, it's nowhere in Scripture. That's not actually a real God. So as we close... I want to give us an illustration because I grew up in a legalistic church. Well-intentioned people loved God dearly and deeply, loved me dearly and deeply, but it was more of the, if you don't comply, you're going to fry kind of variety. And most of the kids that I grew up with, once they got in college, they were gone and they didn't come back, which is really sad. So, I have a couple of pieces of food here. Okay. So, inside here is a burrito. I know. It's a great burrito, okay? It's made with organic meat. It has organic rice, organic beans, organic vegetables. It has non gmo sour cream it has non gmo cheese on it gets awesome in here i have twinkies isn't that awesome they look a little bit alike don't they now let's just suppose that you have to choose one of these as a steady diet And let's just suppose you have an infantile understanding of food. Twinkies it is. I tasted a Twinkie. I've tasted a burrito. I'm in for the Twinkies. (laughs) So you start consuming Twinkies at every meal. You start to notice something. At first, man, this tastes good. This seems right. It certainly satisfies my sweet tooth. I've never been so excited for breakfast ever. (laughs) But the longer you sit with the Twinkies, the more you notice, "Mm, this doesn't sit as well as it tasted. And now it's not actually starting to taste all that good because I'm starting to connect the taste with the feeling. Because even though somebody said this was food, what if food is not actually what you think it might be? Now, worse yet, what if someone told you you needed to eat this food? And this was what you were supposed to be eating. And you kept eating it and feeling horrible and eating it and feeling horrible. These are the God imposters, the food imposters. But this, on the other hand, didn't quite satisfy your sweet tooth. But you noticed every time you ate it, it sat so well. And you you didn't have the Twinkie energy dive. You know what I'm talking about? The jitters and then... uh. Yeah. This, you had the real stuff. Because this is real food. You know what our biggest danger is? And some of us did this. We threw the burrito out with the Twinkies. We threw the real God out with the God imposters. And we said, Church doesn't work for me. Yeah, I've had all the church I need for a lifetime. So, you know what the real big takeaway is from today's message? don't throw the burrito out with the Twinkies. (laughs) Got it? Don't throw the real God out with the God imposters. Because the real God, the longer you sit with Him, the better you feel. So, what can we do with this? If you are a believer, there it is, there's the big takeaway. If you're a believer, here's what I want you to do this week. Just take some time to look for remnants of the old god imposters in your life, because they're not... I've, I found this in my own life. When I kicked out the god imposters, they are persistent and they're prevalent. They are everywhere and they love to come back. Okay? So take some time to sit with God and, 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 and work through some of that. And if you're a skeptic or curious then i want to invite you give yourself permission to look beyond these no-testament gods that i know you've been exposed to to see if there isn't a god who's actually worth believing and worth following and that's what we will dig into in the coming weeks of this series let me pray with you god thank you so much for this group of people thank you so much that in spite of the misinformation that we've been given about you so often from so many different sources. And, and in spite of the narratives that we have written about you and, and in spite of the fact that many of us turned around and walked away, thank you so much that we're here today and that we're giving you a chance to actually reveal your true identity to us. And would you help us not to throw you out with the false gods? Thank you so much. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.